Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. With it increasingly unlikely that the Mets will be able to hire David Stearns from Milwaukee or Billy Bean from Oakland, they're going to continue certainly looking for new voices and new leadership in baseball operations. Uh, they could hire a general manager. They could hire somebody's assistant general manager, promote that person to GM. They could hire someone's GM and promote that person still to president of baseball ops. But it appears what they run into with Stearns and Bean is the difficulty of hiring somebody under contract already with another team. This has stymied them in the past. It's something uh, that they're continuing to face and that any club looking to hire someone will continue to face. I've heard through league sources that Stearns and Bean were both at least intrigued by talking about this job. Uh, neither has commented on that, but that's been the word around the game. Uh, it doesn't really matter, though, because it looks like the Mets aren't going to be able to do it with those particular people, but they're continuing to look for leadership. Sandy Alderson has no interest in having this job long term. It's not something that he came back to do to be the general manager, and they will still seek somebody uh, to fill that position. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, October the 17th, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. And of course, we're part of the fan-sided podcasting network. 
Check out those guys over at Rising Apple. Good stuff going on there. And for the first time, maybe in the history of this edition of the show, I have a co-host. And for those who have been around uh, for a while, maybe going all the way back to the 1240 AM WGBB days, I have uh, what I would call an optimistic Mets fan, if you look at his Twitter. He used to be. Uh, the founder <laughs> of uh, Isles Fix, Isles Blog, Joe Bono. And Joe, welcome in. And for those who don't remember, you were a co-host with me on Champions Radio, uh, 107 point. I can't even remember. I know that 770 is on the, on the, on the, the actual thing now over there out Long Island, but you were part of Champions Radio, ESPN uh, syndicate. We had the Weekend Watchdogs. You were the, the second half of the Weekend Watchdogs. And it's been a long time since, since we've been together. So welcome to the Talking Mets. And you're the first to come into the ring and uh, and have a little bit of a co-host situation going on here. No, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. Yeah, I mean, we did the Weekend Walk Watchdogs every Saturday from 10 to 12. And we did that during the 2015 season. So this is a year that the Mets went to the World Series. And in that season, I was the glass half full guy. <laughs> and in the year the Mets went to the World Series, you were the glass half empty guy attacking Terry not Collins big on that at every team. chance. And I don't know what's happened, Mike. You know, I see like now I watch, I listen to you. I see you interact on Twitter and you are the optimistic Met fan. You feel like everyone's <laughs> overreacting every time. And as the as the losing seasons continue to pile up, right. you seem to get more optimistic. It's it's very strange what's happening to Mike. I did not. I never liked Terry Collins. And, you know, obviously there's been so much written. And uh, look, give the guy credit. He was the one guy who talked about it. And I think really forensically put together what the situation was with the Mets. But if Howard McDowell, Will Pond's mm-hmm. folly. And the biggest thing was cash flow. It was cash flow. And what makes me laugh now is that, and this is the big theme of our show today, is that you have all these writers, you know, talking to people saying, I'm really concerned about working for Steve Cohen because he's going to be too involved and he tweets and he's too fan centric. And I'm saying to myself, the last 20 plus years, you had a COO, the son of the owner, actively involved. And you had to every pretty much week in and week out wonder, what's my budget? What's the situation? You can never plan out. None of that's going to be an issue anymore. And Mm -hmm. I don't think this is why somebody's not taking the job. I think a lot of that is, you know, people just making their opinion because they themselves don't like to be held accountable. But why wouldn't you want an owner that has money? Like none of the issues that have existed, like they act like the old regime is better. It drives me crazy. So that's where you're at right now. <laughs> no, I think certainly it's a more attractive position now than it would have been under Jeff and Fred Wilpon. Um, but you look at the lack of success they even had bringing in anyone post the Willie Randolph, you know, Jan- Jerry Manuel years. You had Terry Collins, you had Sandy Alderson. That was the group for quite a period of time until they decided to go a little out of the box there or a lot out of the box with Brody Van Wagenen. I Which I right thought was now, necessary for that time. They needed someone that could sell and work with the financial ramifications. And he was able to work because he lived in the other world. I think that was a smart hire because of the owner, not because of who he was, because of the ownership group at that point. Yeah. And listen, there's some, I think you've been a defender of Brody and there's some good and there's certainly some bad right now that could be some very, very, very bad, depending on what happens with, you know, Kellenick over the course of his career. And we'll see, you know, batted under 200 here in his rookie season, but showed power, showed speed, showed a lot of those five tools uh, that Mets fans were excited to see. And you would love to have him in right field with a uh, unrestricted free agent, Michael Conforto, coming up this season, especially with the way Edwin Diaz has performed or not performed. 
Um, I think, though, what's happened that we're seeing an early an early narrative where Steve Cohen, you know, Billions character, right? Billions Bobby character. Axelrod. He's which not I didn't even realize though. was back on. And then I think I, I, I didn't realize seen... it even continued the season five just kind of came oh, back. Wait, I, oh, wait. I might have given away a spoiler. No have you watched? Have you watched it? Not I, I was watching it and then I didn't realize that oh, they I couldn't can't. keep on filming because of COVID and I didn't realize it came back yet. So I got to catch up. But well, I, I got to tell you, I got to I gotta tell you, app. I got to do all this stuff. Oh, uh, wait, wait, wait. I got to tell you, then you don't want to hear what ha- the, 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 the last six episodes, the last two outstanding, maybe some of the best. So I won't, uh, I'm going to get to it. I'm going well, to I'm gonna tell you. And I know we're getting outside. Do not Google Damian Lewis's name. It will ruin everything. I know some personal stuff was happening with Damon Lewis, so I just I don't Google that. it. Okay. Don't okay. Google it. That's all. Go ahead, finish over there. But if you look at, you know, this is the type of guy who's coming in. And granted, he came in at a difficult point of last season. You know, not really having a proper off season to kind of build build the framework, start up the operation the way you want. Everything was rushed. But when is when is it that Steve Cohen's going to get his guy? Whether it be on the player side. Or in the baseball front office side, on the player side, they went after George Springer. Thankfully, now they went after Trevor Bauer and did not get him. And Springer um, was showed a lot of health issues. Like, I know he was good, but sure. Springer, he would be viewed differently if he was on the match. Just remember that because he, he was out a lot this year. No, understood. But, you know, issues. it's one thing to say, you know, we went after someone and we had our price point. They went aggressively after both of these guys. They were the runner-ups in both of those situations. Right. And now you have a scenario where, um, you know, I looked at an old article from, from Mike Puma in terms of, you know, in September, who are the five candidates uh, for this job? And the first three are off the board. If you Were if they you ever the realistic though, Joe? Were they ever realistic? Theo Epstein, look at the way they are in their world. The one guy Stearns is under contract. And make no mistake, there's two components here. There's desire to get into the sauce, and then there's can they can they get him? If you think a guy that did not have unanimous support, who had I think six or seven owners that were skeptical, who the old guard, the Jerry Reinsdorf types, didn't want in, who has a lot of money, who scares the bejesus out of these people. Remember, Mark Cuban's not an owner in this game because he's too progressive for that. Remember that. The only reason this guy got in is because of Sandy Alderson. I know that for a fact. And that's why Sandy's the emeritus position. Uh, I'm sure on the back end, Selig helped, even though he's not commissioner. And the financial situation was so bad. The last thing they needed was a bankrupt New York team. Because let's face it, and go back to the guy's book, Will Pond's Folly. If you haven't read it, they should. This was a team that was a hair away at many times from being what Frank McCourt was with the Dodgers. That yeah. post-COVID with no fans in the stands. And, not, and at that point, we didn't know there was any fans. That was where this team was at. That's the only reason this guy is that they don't want to see him win. So you think anybody's going to allow him to interview their, their person? Of course not. Then the other two guys, Bean has an ownership stake and he's into soccer. Is he really into the grind here? And then you have Theo Epstein, who he's moved on. What, more, what can come into the Mets help Theo Epstein's legacy? It could help it, but it could certainly hurt it. So was the, were they even realistic, those three guys? Mm-hmm. Anybody who's on the cut, think about that. It's, I know, it's I, I, I understand. But if they're not realistic, you don't also like to know that the Mets are making their inroads and due diligence, and ultimately they're not going to be able to land their guy and that you're getting your 
fourth or fifth best option at a time where you're supposed to have the owner that's supposed to change that. The Mets are supposed to be in a position where now they're right. getting whatever it is they want because they have the pocket strings to do so. Um, interesting on Sandy Alderson, he was brought in to essentially stabilize a Wilpon situation in ownership. He destabilized it. He was brought in to kind of <laughs> so that they could go away and, and bring in <laughs> and bring in someone new. But right. I think I think listen, I'm torn in terms of my feelings on how this year went when it came to Steve, Steve Cohen and baseball operations, because I want to be, this is year one. It's, it, it, it's, you know, not unfair to think that all of this was going to change in, in one season. And I totally get that. But if you look at the series of events that occurred any under any owner, how would you possibly defend Forget about the baseball product where this team played 18 games under 500 after the first 62 games. They were 36 and 26, five game lead, 18 games under under the last 100 games, coupled with the fact of Jared Porter situation, Zach Scott situation, the Kumar Rocker situation. There's a lot of stuff that you're going, man, I thought this was going to change. Maybe not they were going to become a perennial contender and championship team right away. But I thought this nonsense was going to change. And in year one, it was still very prevalent. And I think you have to remember, and I think nobody really talks about this. I think first he took over November 1st. There was not a darn thing he can do until November 1st of last year. There was no off season planning. They had nobody in the cupboard. I advocated and nobody liked hearing this. I advocated for keeping the old regime, at least for the year while they were looking. And, And in hindsight, that might not have been a bad idea. But I understand that wouldn't have been popular. Um, Porter hire, you know, look, this is the world we live in now. Five years earlier, those text messages never come out. I mean, good, bad. I, I'm not advocating whatever, it. Whatever the background checks that people used to be. Able I don't to think do five years ago, you can't do anymore. You have you to can't go do deep anymore. down. You got to bring in people. You got to interview them almost Absolutely. like you're investigating. Uh, someone. And you want to know something, Joe? I'm not sure that still would have came out, even with the due diligence. I'll give them a pass on that. Zach Scott, very unfortunate situation. N- uh, n- absolutely no excuse. I don't uh, at all think anybody who, who drives on the influence, you're putting other people's lives in danger. Hopefully, if he has a problem, he's getting help. I don't know what his future with the team is. Uh, look, people have to understand, you know, fire him, fire him. There's HR protocol in baseball, too. Like, the guy has rights, too, in spite the oh, fact sure. that he did something. Yeah, I mean, people that talk about that, they want the immediate and maybe action. The pressure or people, got get, people get upset. Oh, this happened 9 o'clock last night. It's 8 a.m. in the morning. The Mets well, have been released. That, that stuff is you can't do that. and ridiculous. Porter was different. Porter was different. I understood it. Hopefully, if he has a problem, he gets help. Who knows? Maybe the stress got to him. I mean, you put a guy, and I said this, and people got mad at me when they fired Chili Davis. One of the reports that came out was that the team saw him come into the locker room and he didn't, and I'll get to this about who I'm looking for next. He didn't fit the role yet. You and I get the job tomorrow. We walk into a locker room. We may know everything that we think we know. You think you and I are going to walk into that locker room? Oh, Mike Silva, Joe Bono. Wow, those guys are sharp. They're going to be like a little uncomfortable. So we'd have to play the part. I think that's part of a lot of these executives who've been back in guys. They're not spending time in the big seat. You have to look the part. You have to play the part. Even if you're acting, you have to do it. And the stress may get to them. Uh, Kumar Rocker, um, here's what I know, and I know this pretty well. They, you could, he wouldn't release the MRI before. So anybody who drafted him was taking a chance. It was total high risk, high reward. The MRI, according to, and this is very well sourced, and I don't put it out there on Twitter because I don't want to hear it. He had a shoulder of a 35-year-old. That's it. 
shoulder issues, not elbow, shoulder issues. You think the Mets were going to pass on that guy over money unless there was a major issue? And by the way, you know, nobody's really talked about him since. It's not like you hear, well, so-and-so can't wait to get their hands on him, right? He didn't even go play in the Atlantic League, you know? So I'll give them a pass on that. That was probably a little bit of a high-risk decision-making. But in general, it was an historically weird situation. They were in first place up until almost August. They lost Jacob deGrom. If they don't lose deGrom, I think perhaps things are a little different. Mm -hmm. And they were always a tournament team. I never felt that they were a complete team. I thought there was issues offensively. And I'll tell you what, the biggest mistake they made was firing Chili Davis and over, uh, what's the word I want to use? Overemphasizing data with these hitters. I think these hitters are in their own process. It's about the process. It's it's too Mm -hmm. much. And I, and I, and I talked to a former Met recently and I said, you know what drives me crazy? And I told, I asked them, I said, you tell me, how would you feel about this? Here's Luis Guillerme on deck. I vividly remember it. It was probably late July. Maybe it was the Toronto series. And on deck, in between pitching changes, Hugh Quattlebaum's got the iPad over the railing, and they're looking at the iPad. I'm like, that doesn't seem like the right time to do that. You should be watching the pitcher. And, and he agreed with me. He said, never would. You know, you want to watch the pitcher. Maybe that's part of it. And that's not going to change. And I think with the yeah. new person they hire, that may not change. And that is a problem. And I think you're seeing it. I mean, Kevin Kernan, who was on this show last week, was railing about it. You have to balance both sides here. It's gone. It's like politics. Our politics are too one way or the other. Our baseball and our sports are swinging. We're in a very odd historical time. Where there's I want to play right now. When a player has a crisis of confidence and confidence has so much to do with how an individual performs in the batter's box in baseball, you know, you can overload them with information looking for the solution and it, it just becoming too, too you much. Play, look, I mean, you play, we played at low level. You played high school. I did. Okay. I played at a higher level than you. Yeah. <laughs> higher level than me. Right. <laughs> you played at a higher level. My Varsity brother played high school. high school ball. My brother played high school ball. So I know a little bit of it. All right. Again, 1990. So we're, we're from, we're dinosaurs. Think about that. We're dinosaurs now. More than we were eight years ago mm-hmm. doing the weekend watchdog, right? Uh, I don't think anybody, even at that time, would even want to have someone talking to them uh, about this stuff in their ear, for much less iPads. Think about it. So, yeah, no, it's listen, it's interesting. And obviously, this was a, 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 a ridiculously underachieving offensive team. Uh, throughout the course of course of the year, you just felt that just because the law of averages that they would have a prolonged hot streak and it never really came up and down the order. And, you know, let's take a step back and looking at this team in the season and why I looked at this as one of the most disappointing Met seasons that I can remember. Interesting. The opportunity was there to be in the tournament. And the fact that the other teams struggled as much as they did and that at 87 when Brave team right now has a 1-0 series lead in the NLCS after losing Acuna, after sure. the domestic violence with those situation with Ozuna. They lost Ozuna. Yeah. two MVP top RBI right. home run players. Right. And they lost one of their top pitchers to an Achilles injury for the second time. They were there for the taking where you weren't going to have to win 95 to 100 games to win division. Just win 90 games. That was the number all year. 90 games. And they were able through the bench mob where you, you you know, you were seeing these plays with Patrick Mazika and you were seeing Peraza and you were seeing these, you know, Thomas Nito chipping in and you were going, wow, they're going to withstand this stretch and come out four or five games ahead and they're going to get their guys back. They're going to waltz their way to a first place finish here in the NL East. 
you know, and because it's just a matter of time that Lindor gets hot. It's just, they're going to do something at the deadline. All these things were going to happen. And the DeGrom injury aside, it was the offense that really struggled. And now Mike, what I, my problem is moving forward. I don't know what to do with this roster. Any GM, I don't know what direction it's to tricky. Go. It's very, you know, that's a fair, fair point. And I, I, well, let's, let's break it into two things here first. And I want to, that's a great point. Because I feel the same way, and I said that a couple of weeks ago. More First, than any what other I, off season I can remember in recent history, I do very not hard. know what to do. Because we don't know. Well, there's a couple of things. We don't know what the CBA is going to look like. So I think between now and December 1st, it's going to be hard to, other than maybe address the qualifying offers, do a lot. Um, with the president of baseball operations, I'm past putting names out there like I did with the manager search a couple of years ago. The three big names are off the board. I wasn't even sure Stearns is, I mean, he's done a really nice job in Milwaukee, but just because you're doing good in Milwaukee doesn't mean you're going to come here and be a a maestro. Epstein and Bean, forget about it at this point. What do I want? Well, I think somebody who works with the media and and takes away some of the uh, narrative that's going to create a perception around this team. Remember what Andy Martino wrote on SMY a few weeks ago? The Rays are the Rays because they could just make baseball moves. That's it. Mm -hmm. You can't do that here. You have to do that sometimes, and you have to be able to withstand the blowback. Signing Lindor to a contract extension in March made no sense. I said it at the time. There's not a second guess. That's a first guess. I said I wouldn't care if they did it, but I warned everybody, you're getting married here before you even got a date. And sure enough now, criticism about that. So you got to be able to work with the media. I think it's important to have someone who combines scouting with analytics. They tried to do that with Porter and Zach Scott. You need somebody who respects both. You need someone that understands this market. And, and I think that's where Billy Bean, having uh, his experience, I think he understood that here. So is the president um, of baseball operations in your mind, because of that need to have that media yeah. charisma and available, is that the voice of the Mets? So you have to be, because Sandy Alderson can't and, do it. But the right. GM is not going to be the one on sports radio at the, at, no. at the podium. It's going to be the not, not, of baseball no. operations. It, I think that's what president this, of baseball this, operations. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like what they want. Because Sandy Alderson can't do it. He can't do it. I agree that awful. Sandy's not going to do it. But, he was you know, never dynamic, good. He was never good having at that. a GM also, and then having the but having the president of baseball operations essentially being speaking for the franchise. That'll be interesting to see how that works. I, I, it felt well, weird I think last you speak year. about different last things. Last year it felt weird. You're like, well, who's actually making the calls here? I don't know who's actually making the phone calls, deciding on the trades. I don't know what the organizational decision making structure of the Mets were. Well, it's very collegial. It's very committee-like. At least the committee's on the same page, you would think, at that point. But I think you need somebody who has a presence. Look, Zach Scott did not have that media presence. He tried. He went on no. the Heyman podcast. He didn't. That's not, And that's not enough because he's a nuts and bolts baseball guy. That's what I think did Luis Rawson. He was not charismatic behind the camera. He wasn't. And I didn't care. I mean, I think he's a good baseball guy that, you know, now all of a sudden this is an issue, that's an issue. Well, where was all this during the season? Where was all this reporting during the season? I mean, if you have sources, you don't need to be in the clubhouse. Just call mm-hmm. sources. Does he have an issue? Now he's gone. All of a sudden, well, he had an issue here. Well, uh, listen, which I, Luis, Luis you know. Rojas, right? At the end of the day, the team wasn't able to make an expanded playoff format in a 60-game season where the Miami Marlins And they were playoffs. not good, but they weren't good enough last year. When they lost Syndergaard and they lost Stroman, they didn't deserve to make any. They were bad. They were 90-loss team. Nobody talks about that. I so said that on the 500, <laughs> you know, but they were a bad team. They were doing the only reason they got away with even being sniffing the playoffs is because you had a 60 game season. They were not a playoff team. They, Nobody they talks bear, about that. They, Nobody they, talks about that. I don't even know a sniff would be even generous by the, you know, they were 
you know, barely playing meaningful games in, in a 60 game season with the right. expanded playoffs. And then this year, and then this year, like and remember, he wasn't their choice. You know, he was in their system. He could have been their choice a couple of years ago. And well, he wasn't the guy. So I'm just saying they didn't think you, he was ready yet. That's I understand that. But like when you're going to be the bench coach to a first time manager in Carlos Beltran, and then all of a sudden you're now promoted to this, to that position. And you right. have a hundred or I guess a 240 game resume right. where your team is not playing 500 baseball how how do you keep him even if you think he's a smart baseball guy you're and- rebooting you're rebooting for what they think and look the one thing i think we all have to understand is i don't think the mets are flying by the seat of their pants i think there there there's a lot going on and i don't think there's a lot of leaks i know one thing about sandy Alderson. i talked to an agent that dealt with him he does not like the media to know his business well, there was the you know what the leaks were coming. The guy who files the Islanders and Lou Lamarillo. So. Yeah, right. So you got that right. <laughs> the only reason you had leaks last time is because the the owner's son was leaking stuff. I mean, come on, and and because you had Omar in there. Look, you had a lot of people in that cabinet. Yeah, that had were, relationships. You know, JP Ricciardi, mm-hmm. a lot yeah, of talkers talk. in there. You you don't you don't have that now. But the most important thing with this president of baseball operation, if they go that route, is the Mets are at a critical point in their history. They're no different than where the Red Sox were. I remember 2000, you know, the Red Sox were this team that everything always went bad. The, the, the city, I remember doing a tour of Fenway Park back in 2000. And all they could talk about on the tour was that all this numerology about the curse and the, and, the, and the retired numbers. The city had this yoke around their neck. Now, the Mets may not be that bad because they've won and they've got they've won pennants and, and, and they have some good moments. But they're at a point where the fan base has this toxic, this toxic component of the fan base mm-hmm. that's expecting to lose. And I think it's seeping into their decision-making. I think it makes it harder to play here. It, the media feeds into yep. it. You it need is. a special person to come in here and understand, okay, I can't rebuild this thing. I so, got to win now. Let's do an and, analogy. And, right? and deal with that. So we'll do a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here and I appreciate the mention of, of Isles Fix at the, at the top. Um, and that's where predominantly I've been spending my time covering the New York mm-hmm. Islanders over the last five, yep. six years. The New York Islanders had a very difficult problem, probably much more so than the Mets in terms of yep. their culture, no home, the building they were playing in, all these things. Which you, by and the way, you supported that building, and I told you from day one that. Well, I lived for. I lived. Do, yeah, that's the only reason you supported it. I just want to put it in there. It's hard someone I from the, Brooklyn. I know you. I, I live in Connecticut now, so what do I have? I've to been say out about of Brooklyn. By the time I was still years. living in Brooklyn, so I was yeah. going to support Brooklyn. Um, but they had a they had to change the culture. And uh, Garth Snow was relieved of his duties. Doug Waite was relieved of his duties. And they brought in Lou Lamarillo. And they were bringing in Barry Trotz. They brought in a Hall of Fame, you know, operations, president of the team. And they brought in a future Hall of Fame coach. And this is what's happened in three years with the team in terms of where the expectations. They should have. They could. They were. They were against. Seven is, away I'm, from just winning saying, the I'm just they saying. I'm just saying. They could have won the cup last year. You're looking for someone that's going to be able to do those things. But based on who's available out there, the person that you're going to pick is going to be a, like a wonderkin. It's going to be like the next Theo Epstein that's going right. to be able to do it. You're not going to bring my point. that think this guy has done it somewhere else because those are the names that you're referencing previously would have been people, Epstein obviously on a different level than everyone else, but names right. of guys that had had success somewhere else that maybe even New York people weren't even that familiar with. I mean, outside of Billy Bean and, and Epstein, that is. But now we're going to tier below that. We're looking for the next guy who's going to be like the face of a franchise, the voice of a franchise, the person that's going to be able to make this fan base sane and trust that they're going to have a different way about them and a different culture moving forward. 
And that person's track record is not going to match up with what they're going to be selling day one at that press conference. But but Lamarillo got into the weeds. He got into like a lot of the guys you're sure, hearing. But that's based a they lot on credibility. They want to be like Alderson. They want to be the guy like you and I just talked about in front of the press, setting the tone. This is an in the weeds grind. You mentioned that Lamarillo was a nobody at some point. Epstein was a nobody. The problem here is the legacy, the Pat Riley or the Bill Parcells that could come in here and change a franchise. Those guys are drying out. They're in this. You're going to have to nail it. You're going to have to nail it. You're going to have to nail it. And you're going to have to support them. And you've got to do it because you believe in them. Not because the beat writers believe in them. Not because the fans or this stupid podcast aren't happy. You have to be able to tell the people around, the peripheral people, Pipe down and, and just sit back. But is that and the where problem you thought, is you got to win right away. But is that where you thought the Mets would be after they got Steve Cohen as the owner? Do you think uh, that they would? I, I thought, thought this they was chaotic. Said, they would have. They would have been like. But at this point, after the first season, now they have a full year ahead of them. You would have said, you know what, a guy like Joe Madden a few years ago that was, you know, after the after he was going to depart with the Rays and the Cubs were able to get him and give him five million dollars a year, that could be my my manager. Or but Joe, Joe Girardi, you're, you're that thinking... could be my manager. And that's not going to be the situation. It feels like it feels like they're going to go off and try to find you know, pluck away another team's, you know, number two or number three guy that's highly regarded within the industry. And then they may very well hire another first time manager to, to help well, embed the I process. Think that's, I think that t- ties into people. Like I told you at the beginning, you think anybody wants this guy to succeed? You got that wrong. You don't think these other people, when they had the opportunity, maybe to push the way out of the contract, say, I'm going to bring my family to New York. Let's face it, a state that you fleed that I live in on the peripheral <laughs> to live in the sauce and a quality of life and a tax base. Like these are, these are factors. People don't realize that Billy Bean lives, regardless of what you think about California, nice life. right? He lives in paradise. He's got a lot of money. He's got an ownership stake in Oakland. He's got his other stuff going on. I mean, Northern California, take away some of the environmental issues you got there. It's paradise. It's not like where you and I live. You want to come here and listen to Mike Puma and, 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 and Andy Martino and Mike Silva and all these stupid barstool podcasts and all these people tell you that you're a joke after you have this beautiful thing and listen to it every day and listen to the toxicity of WFAN and Everett Roberts. You got to think about it. The money's not going to be that much different. Now, if you're a first timer, that's a big deal. You're not going to turn down the opportunity, right? Right. And I think a Buck Showalter or somebody like that would probably take the managerial job, but those guys don't fit what the president of baseball operations probably right. be. They don't want it. The old guard managers standard. that are out there uh, that have name recognition don't play. They ball don't, the way that, they uh, don't they want, want that. No. So everybody's mm-hmm. at a different way. You want the analytics. You finally got the analytics front office and you've complained about it all so, summer. So the, drives so, me crazy. Drives so we me just crazy. go. So did the Mets just go Jeff Lunau and Carlos Beltran and call it a day? Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> it's interesting you said that. It's driving me absolutely mad that Beltron is even now being talked about because the media fired him. Now I read, I don't know if you read Andy Martino's book science about science dealing. I did the audio book. One thing that I have to say, Beltron in the meeting with Jeff Wilpon and it's in this book and Brody did not really do a great job of selling himself to stay. I think he was the Beltron that we saw as a player where he broke into his shell came out in that meeting and they said to themselves, if they're going to, he's going to do this to us, friends in his private room, what's he going to do out there? And granted, the Mets, I think, and especially Fred and Jeff did not want to be the only team that didn't fire. But the media fired him. Now they decided that his penance is over. 
Lunau, that's going to be even more of a toxic situation because Lunau is not just baseball. They're going to question Lunau's personnel decisions because of all the guys that, you know, the things that happened, the integrity, uh, the Osuna situation. Uh, you know, I don't know if they forgive him. Um, and if you listen, there was a podcast about the sign stealing that ESPN put out, an eight-part series. Lunau is pretty adamant in saying he was a sacrificial lamb without saying it. To, to the owner Crane. And we know that, right? I'd love for that to be the case because at this point, um, it would create so much great media. I just don't know if that's what's in the right, <laughs> you know, it would be such a great media. People thing. lots to write about. You know, listen, um, they've tried to you'd have, you'd have tried motivated to people to kind of throw it back in the face of everyone. And the Mets would almost become, you know, this between the owner and his, they'd be like the Patriots in quarters, yeah. right? They'd be, a, they, yeah. you know, the hated Met team. Only thing is they have never won anything. They hate it would just be based on, they, they the hate them because of their integrity. Right. Right. Exactly it wouldn't be on based on uh, and any of the results they had. That's um, exactly right. That's exactly. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it, I don't know if it's the right baseball thing, but it'd be great for, for, for media. They've tried to cancel this show a couple of times. If I support Lunel going here, they may cancel us right <laughs> off. Your aisles fix might go up. You know, you'd have, uh, you know, I'm in no way affiliated with the talking Mets you know, podcast and coming on supporting Lunau is the totally thing but it was first brought up by Evan Roberts and it was first brought up by Kirk Carton and I have to give them credit it is an out-of-the-box thought and um you know I don't think we're really going to get a feel of what's going on because I don't think there's going to be leaks but I think it's important and I think the final point about who I'm looking for is no rebuilds I don't think you have to rebuild right now I think you could do both Look, Brett Beatty looks really good. That's why I wanted to get into uh, with you. Brett Beatty looks really good Mm -hmm. in Arizona Fall League. Maybe you don't need Chris Bryant. You know, there is some players, Vientos, Beatty. They're not ready just now. You don't know that. You don't know that. You don't know that. So let's let's look at the roster, right? Part of the reason why, as I said before, this is one of the most disappointing years in Met history. Now, listen, there were disappointing moments like 2007 collapse, 2008 quasi collapse. the, you know, the first place tease and Adam Wainwright, the tease, there was a lot yeah, of stuff, tease. right? But just right. overall, in terms of, can you just get to the tournament? Can you just get to the right. playoffs among the most right. disappointing ones that I could remember? Right. And I, and part of that was 2019, how they had August and September and that team finished with 86 win, wins. And it was not only a young core team, but a likable team. And mm-hmm. you said, wow, they're going to get better next year. Alonzo and McNeil and Dom Smith and JD Davis. And these guys are going to continue mm-hmm. to get better. And this had a 19, you know, if you want to be romantic about the Mets, a 1984 sure. type feel, Yep. you know, a 1997, 98 type feel, right? It's that year before you're ready to make the move. And then the pandemic happens. You kind of say, okay, I'm going to throw away that 2020 season. And now here you are in 2021 and the stage is set. And right now you don't know what decisions to make about these right. individuals. And I think Sandy Alderson alluded to it towards the end of the you year. You only have two, conference. two offensive players that I believe you can say, did what they were supposed to do. Nimmo and there's health issues, freak stuff, and Pete mm-hmm. Alonzo. Yeah. Both those guys, and I've said, and I've been Nimmo defender for a while. The fact that people are coming on board now, you haven't been paying attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was elite in 2018. The on-base percentage now is, you know, three, and four he gets consecutive on base, years over 400. I mean. And you put him in a corner with the analytics that they have now. One positive of the analytics is how they handle the defense. The analytics you have now, he'd be fine. He's actually, he was fine in center for the most part. He'd be fine. So you have two guys. And I'm not ready to give up on McNeil because I think if you look at some of the contact that he made, he was a bit unlucky. The rest of those guys, Dom Smith, I never was a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's face it, you you really were banking on Conforto being a core signed player. And that's really where this 
Conforto, I went on before, you know, this morning, I went on you know, baseball reference, just looked at Conforto's numbers. And I'm like, how did this, the, the fluctuations, they, what a 2016. strange career. What a strange when, Remember year. when he got sent down in 2016? Yeah. He had the same type of year this year. I mean, 2015, this guy's hitting two home run games in the World Series, a home run mm-hmm. against the Dodgers in the yep. NLDS, a huge home run. And yep. then 2016, he's back in the minors. 2017, he's an all-star, then he gets hurt. Right. Yep. Then he, then last year he's batting three, you know, shortened right. year he's batting over 300. What a really strange Met career. And then he was always a much better defensive player than he ever got credit for, at least coming to the major leagues. One accurate arm. Won a game this year. Won a game this year with his defense. Sure. Really yeah. strange Met career. But overall, again, Sandy Olsen alluded to it, right? The young core isn't as young. So you have to start deciding, okay, am I just going to keep course with this younger core group of players because they are affordable um, and have, you know, some they're under team control for another period of time and then try mm-hmm. to build around that. Or do you say, okay, I'm going to try to trade these as assets because they're affordable and be able to bring in other elements of this team that maybe when those young players that you're mentioning are ready to go, they're there to complement this whole push. And that right. may be taking a bit of a step back as opposed to what I think is the case going into next year. It's more right. like crossing your fingers and hoping these guys just have a better year. Well, I think I think you have the money where when you say take a step back is I don't think there's a scenario next year where the Mets go in that are favored to win the division, are favored to win the World Series. I think they're a team that's in the muck that can make it into a wild card. Let's say even if it's a wild card tournament, they expand it to four teams and you have that a wild card week or something. They'll they'll look at that unless they rip it apart. I don't see that happening. The Mets are not going to be looked at that. So get ready and buckle up where that's what you're facing. And that's to a certain degree. I felt this team was a tournament team, I felt that they would be able to sneak in and cause people problems, whether it be wild card or division. I think that's what you're looking at now. If the Grom is done, uh, and Mike Puma wrote about this on the, on, in the New York Post, if you got Kershaw now, who could give you 20 starts a year, um, that changes a lot, makes it even more that case. And to a certain degree, I think even if he can pitch every day, I think you're looking at a guy that's going to be a five, six inning pitcher. I think it changes them a lot. I think you don't have that and I know Syndergaard is is a uh, a question in whether you bring him back on the, the qualifying offer. I wouldn't go off from a qualifying offer. I don't think you need to. And I don't know if Syndergaard is a top of the rotation guy anymore. Yeah, the Two way innings? he's talking about it almost is he wants the qualifying offer because he he too thinks he'll end up with a one ten or $12 million. That's year what you're going right? to get. I'm not interested. And people are like, well, give it to him. You know, I'm like sitting there listening like, you guys love spending other people's money. Well, here's money. the other thing, Mike, too. You look at the existing contracts and then the raises that some of these players are going to get just through the arbitration period. You have a $250 million this, payroll. Exactly. So how is it possible? That, I mean, listen, as a Met fan, right, as a longtime disgruntled Met fan that has to watch the Yankees uh, be in the playoffs every year and certainly, you know, based on our age groups, had to withstand being, you know, in a teenage the, the dynasty, during the, right. during the, the dynasty, dynasty years at the most obnoxious period of time that right. you could be. Right. You said at least the Yankees are able to spend money that it hides their mistakes when they make an error. They're able to overpay to solve those mistakes. That was you know, the key Gowas of the world. And then Kiyagawa. they automatically <laughs> Kiyagawa, they're, and they're able to buy themselves contention. Right. But right. the Mets with that payroll going into next year are going to be in the muck. How did it happen? How is that? Well, I think the Yankees are. I think the Yankees are. I think the Yankees are going to be in the muck too. But their muck they is were this year. Wins. Well, being in the muck, the up and down year they but, had, but, and they but still being won in the muck, five games. But being in the muck. Let's let me rephrase that. Being in the muck means so. that you're not necessarily. 
going to be a division winner. Everybody else falls into that. Uh, the How last many 90 win seasons have the Mets had, though, Mike? The year they won the World Series. That's it. 90, yeah. They won 90 and 72. 90 games. No. And then 2006. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like, in, and since 1990, 2000. I know. I mean, they have, and a, a lot of that goes back to the original statement, which is not the problem now. Uh, it, it, the problem was they didn't have a budget to be able to build a complete team like other teams. Now they have the budget. The big concern but is the who's going to run it. But look how much the budget's already spent and the team's not complete. That's my point. McCann's the catcher. Yeah. Alonzo's the first baseman. Okay. Lindor's at shortstop. Well, the budget right? at 250 you, you, means you're bringing back a lot of last year or, or similar type of players. Like instead of Stroman, maybe you bring a, you know, opponent. I think the key is going to be. How long-term are the contracts? I don't think it's going to be the money. Do you, you know, you can't sign Baez to 10-year deal. That's well, listen, foolish. That was, yeah, but I'll sign him to a four-year deal. In, in September, and, and you, you know, you look at terms of, you know, it's weird. The team sunk, and the season was over after the 13-game road trip, essentially. Um, but you look back at that trade. Season was over was, on Labor Day when Diaz blew the save. I think they could have – I think that was what really told me they weren't serious. Yeah, that, that was, was an opportunity really, against some of those bad teams where they yep. could have gotten hot. But they wouldn't have, the Cardinals would have won anyway because they won 17 in a row. But right. maybe the Mets beat them a couple of games. Who knows? So no, you had 87 games would have won the division or yep. just got you into right. a playoff, right? So right. you look at Baez and compared to the other you know transactions that occurred at the trade deadline, and he's among the top right. two or three that in terms of performance. So it's hard to knock the trade, even though the team didn't compete uh, the way you were hoping they would. The player played great. And you have this, obviously, rapport and connection and relationship between him and Lindor and the attractiveness of second and short. But like you said, if you're giving him a big contract, forget 10 years, but even five, six years, again, the, the salary cap, where the salary is of this team yep. is really high considering the amount of unknowns and the amount of questions and the amount of confidence you have in them being a you know division favorite or short thing 90 plus win team well and that's why you really a big need... gap in right field they have two or three rotation spots their bullpen aaron loop they have to resign guy had an under one year a he was on a one-year deal what is he going to get he wants to be back there's going to be other people a lot of competition for him probably going to get 10 million a year 8 million a year yeah. right couple of years i mean right. it but when and part of the unknown is right now we don't know what the cba is going to look like if the salary floor comes into play now those salaries are going to go up and some of these guys you're going to have to walk on in the past those guys would be sitting like a vr will be sitting on the market and you could get them for three million dollars for a one-year deal because they don't got any other choice um i think the good news is I think there's some arms that could complement in the bullpen, which means they have to spend less in the bullpen. They do have starting pitchers already under contract. Walker's under contract. McGill looks pretty good. Uh, you hope that the Grom comes back. Maybe Syndergaard on that on that front. Peterson, who didn't pitch really well, but you know was out most of the year. You don't know what some of these young starters in the minor leagues. Uh, you know, there's some guys like uh, Abuto and guys like that. We don't know. But even bringing back Stroman and having Degrom healthy, you still don't have a rotation that you're excited yeah, well, about. Well, your issue is the offense because you may be forced to rely on McNeil coming back. You may have to, in some ways, hope that Dom Smith rebounds. You have to have, and then we're not in those rooms. The real honest conversation that we may, we don't have is what really went wrong with McNeil. Dom Smith. Uh, forget Comforto because, well, that's part of this conversation. And a possible DH spot for next year. Right. Too, with uh, this Pino, DH spot. You know, J.D. Davis, <laughs> J.D. Davis. So you, I never thought Dom Smith was a starting player. I thought he was Mirage. That was always my feeling. So I'm not surprised about what happened, but I expected a little bit better. 
McNeil and J.D. Davis, I've always been big on J.D.'s bat. He clearly had an injury issue. There's still your DH. He's still one of the better hitters. No, he's on still, the team but he had no power. I wouldn't just give J.D. Davis. I'd love to know, just, you know, just trade J.D. Davis. Just trade him away. Get rid of McNeil. Trade McNeil for David Stearns. I'm like, what? You know, the Yankees just got Joey Gallo for a song and a dance. We're going to give up McNeil for our executive. That was it just an all-star. Me crazy. Yeah, I'm McNeil, 19. you know, you know, I mean, come on. I mean, that whole thing. So I agree with you. The problem with doing a show like this is we just, just so many, we don't know the CBA. We don't know what went wrong with these players because there's nothing on paper that you and I could look at um, at this point. And really, I just laid out what I want in a president of baseball operations. Would it surprise you if they just went with a GM? and kept uh, Sandy in there for another year or so. And then you're kind of getting clumsy because the present baseball operations comes in. Comes in afterwards. A GM, after, a, a, manager. New, a manager. That's not yeah. good. Or you get really silly. You spend money. You bring in Buckshaw Water. You bring in you know, some kind of GM that wants to just get involved in this whole crazy thing. And you try to win it. I could see something like that happening because this owner doesn't want to rebuild right now. He's going to rebuild at the last minute possible. That's what he's going to do. And, and and it might know, get ugly at that point, but yeah, you know, uh, it just it's just a very strange um, off season because um, I listen. You got to figure out what you're going to do in right field. You're going to give the qualifying offer to Conforto. Boris is going to likely make him believe that he's going to be able to get a contract. Would you give? Somewhere. Would you? Would you give? So let me. We'll we'll wrap up here, real quick. Prior, would you give if you had two? Let's assume a guy like Beatty or Vientos could play your third. Maybe bring VR back on a short term deal. You have Cano. We haven't even gotten to that. Cano's involved in the mix because he's, you know, if you don't posted remember. a very inspirational uh, picture. And from Cano, you know, people got mad at me. I knew it's that Cano was bad. Cano's bad. Cano could hit on twenty twenty in twenty twenty. Remember, just don't, just don't of... pull a hamstring when he's trying to get a double. It'll be okay, maybe. Cano, remember, steroids is as much about recovery and rejuvenation as it is about performance. I do not believe Cano's career is was what it is because of steroids. I think his ability to play every day at age 40 is because of mm. steroids. Separate conversation. But let's say, you know, money, you know, there's a lot more to that. Would you make your two big offensive uh, additions, assuming your third base situation can be worked out internally, be Baez and Conforto would you give them the contracts that they want which could be you know five years plus I can't give out two major contracts to those two it's it, it's it's if you had to pick one, one who would you pick if you had to pick one who would you pick Baez and you think and see I agree because he won me over I didn't like Baez when he came over but Baez is Lindor's buddy he could run the bases he's he dynamic too he's he got an edge him. you know what I like about him he's got an edge you know what the fact that the Yankees are upset that the Mets accused of a science stealing Good for the Mets. I'm tired of them being, you know, the, the Mets are like that, that independent uh, po- politician who's everybody's friend and everybody hates them. You know, everybody mm-hmm. take a stand, take a stand. And you know what, whether it's true or not, have a little edge. Why the Yankees are upset. Big deal. Big deal. They're upset. Who cares at that point? By the way, if I was in a dark alley, I wouldn't want to run into bias. I'd run into John Carl Stanton before I run into Baez, i tell you. And no both big dudes, <laughs> I gotta tell you. <laughs> yeah, so listen, I don't know. It's going to be a fascinating offseason. They got to find these things. You know, these things have a domino effect in terms of the timeline they need to occur. Right. right? They need to get Brett the president Brett Beatty of could be the, the Pete GM. Alonso of 2022. Well, listen, I listen, if you're not following guys like uh, like Mayer, um, you know, these guys report on the minor leagues um, yep. and the Mets have a couple of really good ones. Probably the most exciting part of the season, I think, overall, big picture wise, was that 
their their position player prospects overperformed this year and got you really excited about Alvarez and Beatty and Vientos and Mauricio and some other guys as well. And you go, hmm, you know what? This group that I thought was going to be the young core that got us where we needed to go, these guys might be only one or two years away. And you, you got know, JT again with the right amount of players. Then you, you got JT again. You got Matt Allen. You got a couple of guys under the radar. And you, you never know. Well, Matt but, Allen's coming back from Tommy John. He's I mean, probably have, another year the, or two. They don't away. have the obvious right. next guy who's ready to make the leap right. on the pitching staff side. Of Joey Lucchese will be coming right. back from Tommy John later in the year. You know? yeah, Here's the good a, news. It was, it was a weird season, Mike. I mean, listen, I'm looking at the Seattle Mariners. They had a kind of the year that the Mets had in 2019. You know, obviously got even even closer. So like, you know, if they have, yeah, you love Paul Seawald. I always liked him. Always loved. But like guys like, like Chris Flex, Chris Flex, it was horrible for the Mets. Horrible. He, the he went to Korea. Any starter? Yeah, I, I think it's fair. Out. I think it's fair to question how they could figure it out internally. Yeah, right. Why are they not developing guys? Because I and I've been saying this for a while. Other than Pete Alonso and McNeil, who came out of nowhere, McNeil, one of them, they're not developing a hell of a lot of guys internally. They're mm-hmm. drafting very well. That's part of it. Not all those guys are doing it for the Mets. And listen, um, Jimenez so. had a horrible year in Cleveland, so you don't feel bad about that. Although he was a but bright he, spot during the 60-game period. He, but he was, was always... He was the, but he was the big, bright, shiny jewel that, that they talked about for a couple of years as yeah, the next big thing. Yeah, but I always they, thought... He was a component player. I was, yeah. I'm a guy. And Rosario had know. a nice season. Rosario had a nice season. You know, he had he had, his, had a right. pretty good year for. for He's for not Lindor, Lindor though. Let's not Lindor. Have, not nearly close to the ceiling. Of Lindor, Lindor is but. is unbelievable when it comes to defense. So here's the good news for those who are listening. Joe, first off, has Isle Fix. So if you go to what is it at Isles Fix on Twitter? Yeah, is that what I'll, it is? Let me yeah, give you give me a quick uh, quick uh, thirty seconds or so on this one. So I heard Jeff Ballone on your program. None of this happens without Mike. Back Silva. in February, back in none February of this happens without on. Mike Silva. I heard Jeff there you Ballone, go, Mike Silva, uh, Mike Silva, who's, who's spreading the gospel of, of sports. There, heard him on a show in February. I had never heard Jeff before, and I go, this guy is really interesting. I really thought it was a really good, insightful interview, and I heard about what he was doing uh, with Metfix and his partner previously as a as a founder of Nick's Film School, which I was also on the peripheral, uh, I knew a little bit about. Checked out the product, started subscribing, saw the beat writers like Anthony DiComo and Howie Rose and others and Gary Cohen mentioned about mentioned them over the course of their broadcast. And I reached out to Jeff and said, I'd love to do this for the Islanders. I've been running uh, NYIslesBlog.com and Islesblog Twitter account for about five, six years. I felt like it was a way to go into a different direction to provide information in a unique and comprehensive way. We partnered, we kicked off our first newsletter um, on Monday, and it's been a lot of news already to start the year. Unfortunately, the season has started with a no one two start, but we think that's going to change. And if you're an Islanders fan uh, listening to the show, we'd love to have you check it out and potentially subscribe. It comes into your inbox every Monday through Friday morning. Go online on Twitter and find us at ILS Fix, and you can just Click on our Substack and uh, subscribe right there. Here's the good news for Mets fans listening to Joe's analysis. He's usually wrong about everything. No. He was wrong. He was wrong about. He was wrong about Brooklyn and the Islanders. He was wrong about Geno Smith. <laughs> well, I remember he used to scream at us about Geno Smith. You love Geno's. Oh, Geno Smith. This we had. We had the great Jim Mojo Morrison, who's out down and covering minor league baseball somewhere down south. I was ready to you give up yell with the guy within year one. You give up on every Jed quarterback in year one, and I guess that would be the way to go. You'd be and, right and, if and, you gave and, up on them all on year one. You know, he was wrong about that, and uh, there was something else he was wrong about. But I, oh, the, I think the Brooklyn Nets he was wrong about too. So we'll keep that going. Which that let me tell you. That could be its own podcast. That's a, what's going on. covering that team like in depth. Oh my my Lord. You know what? As a Knicks fan, which nobody may care about on this show, to sit back and watch the 
drama and the implosion from a societal standpoint. Kyrie Irving becoming the Muhammad Ali of a segment of society <laughs> is, I could never, you told me of all the athletes that, we, that we've watched in the last 10 years, if somebody came to me from Mars and said, Kyrie Irving is going to be your societal uh, firebrand, mm. I'd be like, nah, I think he's kind of a goofball. I don't think so. You know, you know, you think LeBron James. No, Kyrie Irving. Who would have thunk of the whole thing? So thankfully, you and I don't have to cover things like that because we'd be canceled. I, well, you wouldn't be. I'd be canceled about five and a half seconds after the show. Again, ends. I am no no and no officially yeah, affiliated right. with the Talking Mits podcast. You go enjoy <laughs> a nice leafy day up in uh, New England because you're really now in New England now. Well, kind of. You can in Connecticut. Yeah, I could. Kane, you're kind of New England right now. There's definitely a New England feel around here. There's definitely a New England feel. Before you guys know it, he's going to be rooting for the Red Sox. Don't don't let him BS you at that point. Uh, I do miss us going to that studio. Who knows what's there now at uh, the old Champions Radio? Mm-hmm. Uh, leave on this. What was your favorite moment co-hosting that show with me? Do you have a favorite moment that stands out? A time you yelled at me? A time that I annoyed you? you know, is oh, there anything well, there? You know, we covered uh, Champions of Radio. We were with the 2013 as the, as players were getting signed. So when Cano went yes. to Seattle, the Mets signed Curtis Granderson. Jacob we had Gary Elsberry. Cohen on and, and Jack yeah, we had Curry some Jack on. Curry. We had some good. I, I You're pulled a former. Let's remember. Book. Joe is a former Fordham graduate, so yeah. many luminaries. Have I come pulled out Fordham. the black book for for Mike Silva to get that show right. uh, up for, for my appearance <laughs> on there. And honestly, and listen, I... <laughs> we had a covering the Mets and and during that 2015 run uh, during the weekend watchdog podcast was was great. Um, and we had a lot of fun doing that. And, it, and, and we didn't uh, enjoy it enough. No, we we didn't, talk, I didn't believe. We, we didn't talked. believe it was. We talked about know. it. Like you have when you get there, you have to win. When you get there, you have to win. And unfortunately, they didn't. Um, Islanders have a little bit of that the last couple of years as well. Some missed opportunities. You just don't know if you're going to get back there. And unfortunately, the Mets have become a franchise. My five final thought that have had these bright moments. That's why we're still talking about the 86, uh, you know, 30 for 30 documentaries. And yesterday, everyone was, you know, taking a knee and, and like Cleon Jones to celebrate 1969 anniversary. They've right. had these two really magical moments and a couple other spurts in between and that separates them from like the doldrum franchises but man there's been a lot of inept baseball 10 out of 13 that, years with under 500 that game, that game seven against tampa last spring does that go up in painful losses with 06 uh with charles smith with no, the rockets not, no no it doesn't no? because they weren't the better because you would have won the championship you win yes. game seven you win the yes cup. but they were they were not the better team in either one of the series the last two years uh, tampa was the better team but they had an opportunity to upset a better team when the when when you know you're the better team and you're the, on right. the side getting upset that's that's when it's the worst joe go enjoy the leafy new england uh world let's do this again and yeah we'll i love some to. fun Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks a lot, man. We'll talk soon. All right, my friend. Appreciate it, Mike. Be well, man. That is my buddy, Joe Bono, Joe Bono. Let's, uh, let's give him the Isles fix. I want to thank him for uh, tuning in. And we tried something a little different here with a, basically a coast. Maybe we'll do more of that. Some would come in the ring and have some back and forth instead of me just talking from the pulpit. It should be fun. All right. You can check me out all the time at the talkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And of course, we want to thank the good folks at the Fansided Podcasting Partnership, the Fansided Podcasting Network, and our good friends over at Rising Apple Blog, RisingApple.com. Till next time, everybody. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Take care.
Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.